The good people effect is something very special that happens when we surround ourselves with the right people to help us grow. The show is based on three main pillars, which are creativity, adventure, and purposeful living. My intention is to create positive momentum in the direction of real human growth. And I believe by taking a glimpse into the lives and minds of good people through deep conversations, we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to immense growth that can be later injected back into this crazy world. This is more than just another podcast. It's an energy of intentional growth that's been manifested from the beauty of the creative spirit, the call for adventure, and the power of purposeful living. This episode is for those of you that have been curious about meditation and have been thinking about trying it for some time, but haven't actually had a chance to give it a go. It's also for those out there that have tried meditating, but you know, you've come across some roadblocks and you haven't been able to make it a consistent daily habit in your life, even though you know and you've heard about the benefits of it. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Susan Piver, who runs the world's largest Sangha online meditation community and is a New York Times bestselling author of eight books, including The Hard Questions, How Not to Be Afraid of Your Own Life, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, Start Here Now, and Open Hearted Guide to the Path and Practice of Meditation. She founded the Open Heart Project in 2012, which is a center in the cloud for about 20,000 people all over the world. And she has international reputation for being an exceptionally skillful meditation teacher. And she's also been a Buddhist practitioner um, for quite some time now as well. So I really wanted to get Susan onto the show to have a deeper discussion on meditation. In recent times, I think meditation has kind of become like a trendy or, or very popular thing. And there's some common errors or misconceptions floating around that hopefully in this episode, we can clear some of that up and we can get to a better understanding of meditation itself. So I've meditated every day for the past year and I began my practice on the 1st of January, 2019. And since then, I felt some real inner transformation take place. It's really helped me in a lot of ways and I wanted to share some of that with you guys to really encourage you to give it a go and to and to get into a daily practice because I think it would really benefit you and, and I really want to help you out on this journey of self-discovery that, and that's what the show is all about. So um, it really helps me um, with, sorry by the way, if there's a little bit of background noise, I'm in Vietnam at the moment and you might hear some chickens, you might hear some cars, you might hear some people talking. Uh, but it just is what it is. The ways it's helped me out is when I feel the chaos of negativity in my thoughts. It's not only helped me be more mindful about these moments and, and recognize them, but it's allowed me to sink into the truth of what really is instead of buying into these kind of false stories or these tricks that my mind plays on me. It's helped me mag navigate through uh, confusing times where I found it almost impossible to know which direction to head in. It's brought me answers and insights and, and a lot of wisdom in, in the most unexpected ways. And like I said, I've only been doing it consistently for about a year. I was meditating quite often before that, but I've only really started to apply it as a consistent practice uh, since the start of this year. And it's just really helped me out um, helps me become more focused, help me really um, be more mindful of my own emotions and what I'm feeling and going through. And ultimately, it's brought me closer to my true being. And I feel like I know myself a lot better. 
So this podcast is all about self-discovery. It's, it's through shared experiences, stories, and insights, we can really get a better idea of who we are. Um, so if you've never tried meditation, please give it a go. I'm sure after this episode, I wanted to go a little bit deeper with Susan. I'm sure after this episode, you're going to be inspired to do so. Uh, if you're enjoying the episodes, please mindfully tap that subscribe button uh, to receive more conversations geared to help you on your journey of self-discovery and conscious growth. And please tell one friend about the show. Uh, if you like to watch YouTube videos, there's going to be a practical breakdown of everything I've discussed here today with Susan on my YouTube channel, Today Dreamer. That's all one word, Today Dreamer. And if you subscribe to the channel, you'll be notified when more good stuff comes out. Here's my chat with Susan. It was a really, really beautiful one. And I really, I know that you're going to get something out of it. And I'm excited to share this with you. So let's get into it. <laughs> uh, okay, so where should we begin with this? Um, I guess, do you want to give me a little bit of background on, on or all of us, a little bit of background on on uh, the Open Heart Project, Susan. I guess we'll dive straight into it and then we can kind of see where things go from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, the Open Heart Project is an online mindfulness community. That's, that's what I call it for lack of a better descriptor because, A, it, that's accurate. Um, and it's a way to learn how to meditate. But beyond learning how to meditate, it also provides a way to bring the results of meditation alive in your life, which is where it actually really counts anyway. So I am a meditation teacher. I've been a Buddhist practitioner since 1993, so for quite a while. And I became a meditation teacher in 2007. And at that point, I started teaching, teaching retreats and workshops and so on. And I would always say at the end, if you want to continue to meditate, please find a meditation instructor. Because though the practice technique is simple, it is, it is not easy. And it produces results that are complex. So it's good to have someone, just means someone who's been meditating longer than you. But of course, 95% of people who I said that to had no idea what I was talking about. They either don't live where any place where there is a meditation teacher or a meditation center, or they have six children and two jobs, and there's no way they can get to such a place. So as a stopgap measure, I started offering a meditation video once a week with, you know, 10 minute guided sit preceded by a short talk about something relevant. And it just kind of went from there. I, I did not anticipate how much it would grow, but it coincided with the sort of mindfulness explosion. And it's now close to 20,000 people all over the world who get meditation instruction from me, I guess you could say. That's, that's really interesting. How, how, do, how, how does the guiding work? Is it like a, a conversation that you have with a student, like with questions back and forth? Or is it more like you said, kind of um, sitting together in meditation um, together, and then afterwards, you know, having a bit of um, a discussion or, or saying a few things. How does that work? Yeah, um, that's a good question. No, there is no no discussion because I record the videos and send out the recording. But I preface each video. Each video is a guided ten minute sit, and I preface it by answering a question I've received from someone, 
questions that range from, am I allowed to move if my foot falls asleep, to, you know, why am I crying all the time now that I've started meditating? So I answer, I guess you could call them the frequently asked questions in a little talk that ranges from five minutes to 15 minutes long. They're usually five, five or so minutes. And then I, we go into the meditation. So you can use it as you want. Uh, you can click play whenever you want. You can delete it if you want. You can hoard them in a folder in, in your inbox if you want, uh, or you can use them. So it's, it's up to you. But big, as time went by, now it's been more than five years that I've been doing this. People have expressed interest in wanting to learn more about meditation and mindfulness and how to bring it into everyday life. So as part of the Open Heart Project, I started offering classes, workshops, and online retreats. And in those, there's a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. And how do you think something as as simple as as meditation can bring about so many wonderful benefits? I mean, if, if if it gets to a point where... Uh, a teacher is needed to kind of integrate some of those lessons. How does that even, how do things get to that point from something as simple as, as sitting and breathing? Yeah, that's, 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 that's a really important question. And it is a very mysterious what happens from a meditation practice, but it is not uh, a coincidence that 2,500 years, at least on the Buddhist side of meditation, has shown this indisputable connection between the practice of sitting there breathing and doing nothing, just as you say, and the arising of wisdom, compassion, and confidence. Those are the three qualities of the awakened mind. So that's what happens when you meditate. If anyone tries to say, I know why, let me explain it to you, I would, you know, make some excuses because it's it, it, it can't be explained. Uh, there's all sorts of ideas and theories about how that happens. But the best I can offer is it has something to do with ceasing to work on yourself, quote unquote, and instead relaxing with yourself as you are, allows your innate, indestructible, doubtless, natural wisdom and clarity to come to the fore. Whereas normally we put all sorts of other things in the foreground, ideas and opinions and judgments and critiques and strategies. And in meditation, in one sense, we say no to all of that. It doesn't just turn off, but you just place your attention on something else besides those normal objects of attention. And once we remove our attention from our thoughts, to some degree or another, we see we're in a much larger space, a much more interesting realm than the conventional mind affords us to see. So it's not a self-help practice, although it is helpful. And there's all sorts of research and science that says it will lower your the stress hormone cortisol and it will, you know, decrease activity in the right prefrontal cortex and increase it in the left or vice versa, whichever one is the good one. I can, I can never remember. And all of that's cool, but really it is a practice of transformation. It's not a self-help technique, which starts out with the idea that 
there's something well, self-help naturally is like, there's something wrong. You need to fix it. That's otherwise you wouldn't need help. Meditation is the reverse of that. It says there's nothing wrong. You don't need to do any work. You just need to relax and see your brilliance, which you will see when you relax. So uh, that creates, it opens you up and in so doing makes you more vulnerable. And when you're more vulnerable, you feel more, you see more, you observe more, I guess the same as seeing, and you are could possibly be surprised by your own experience once you take it off, you know, autoplay. So that's why a meditation teacher is useful to help you navigate the inv- inevitable changes that occur. Not they don't need you. They don't, you don't need a meditation instructor to tell you how to meditate six thousand times. But it's good to have someone to help you parse the journey that then happens. Mm, that makes sense. Why do you think uh, we're so we can become so blinded to our own brilliance at times? And 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 why do you think? these ancient Buddhist teachings about meditation still feel so relevant in today's world. Yeah. I love that, that they do feel so relevant because it's relevant. Meditation practice is like the most stripped down situation in the world, like literally stripped down. Like what's involved is you. Okay. You need to be there. Your body, your breath, and your mind. That, that's it. You can't take any of those three things out of the equation. <laughs> it's that stripped down. So in that sense, it's relevant always because we have bodies, we have breath, and we have minds. So there's that has not changed over the millennia. And while there has been, as I mentioned, great research in the last 50 years, say, 30 to 50 years, uh, on the benefits of meditation and how it can help combat difficult states or help you uh, navigate obstacles. There's been 2,500 years of Buddhist research, uh, evidence-based or anecdotal research, on how it helps you create wisdom and compassion and generosity and discipline and patience and so on. So even though it's 2,500 years on, we still need to figure out what it means to be generous and disciplined and patient and so on. So it it doesn't teach you how to be removed from this world. The Buddhist teachings are quite extraordinary in the way they show us how to be in this world and of this world uh, in a very practical way, I would say. Mm-hmm. And you've been, like you mentioned, you've been teaching this for quite a while and you've been in this realm for quite some time, like mm-hmm. I think you said over 20 years. So how does, I don't know, have you seen any patterns within your students in regards to the gifts that begin to kind of unfold once they begin meditating? Yeah, it, it happens and it still happens to me too. I, I'm, not, I'm not any, you know, it's not any different for me, but meditation. <laughs> Uh, makes you nicer. It, it makes you more kind. And it also, another thing I've noticed is that it tends to give you confidence because it's predicated on self-acceptance, 
like you're not working on yourself as mentioned. You're being with yourself. And you're, it's, it's sometimes called the practice of friendship, making friends with yourself. And when you have a friendly attitude toward yourself, you're much more confident than when you walk around in the world with an aggressive attitude toward yourself, like, you suck, you need to change, that's not good, you did that okay, you could have done it better, which, you know, that's how it is for most of us, myself included, like 90% of the time. So when you stop that, even for a little bit, you you find you develop confidence so you become kinder you become more confident and you this is a hard one to explain because it sounds really woo woo but you become attuned to the kind of magic of your world and by magic i don't mean magic spells or wizardy things i mean you owe, the magic of the way seasons change, that sounds trite, but the magic of waking up, like literally waking up in the morning, and the magic of how food tastes, and the magic of how the the sky changes throughout the day, and you become aware of a a more brilliant world that's not just uh, presenting you with opportunities or obstacles, but it is alive, and you're in it. And so that is a beautiful thing. So I'd say makes you friendlier, kinder, makes you more confident, and attunes you to the ordinary magic of everyday life in a way that is meaningful. Yeah, it, it feels like the more people that meditate, uh, the more kind of the world and all of us that are really connected kind of changes as a whole. Huh. How, say more. What do you mean? Well, I feel like the more people that are kind and caring and compassionate and confident in this world, it, it kind of has an effect. And it, I guess the, the planet evolves in some way. I, I totally and completely agree. And I, I guess I want to add one more li- word to the list of kind and compassionate and wise, because sometimes meditation and compassion particularly are conf- is conflated with being nice or never getting upset or just i don't know what being like all zen quote unquote all the time but another quality that meditation imparts is authenticity it makes you more genuine it doesn't make you more robotic so when you feel happy you feel happy and when you feel angry you're angry and when you're sad you're sad and there's less confusion for yourself and the people who know you about who you are. So it doesn't necessarily make you more peaceful, P.S., because vulnerable and peaceful are not necessarily the same, but meditation absolutely does make you more genuine. And that's what also can change the world, because when we can be honest about what we feel and show up without um, pretense, that magnetizes the confidence and non-pretense or unpretentiousness of other people. To me, the most powerful teaching is genuineness. That 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 magnetizes everything. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I, I had a chat with a, a Buddhist monk in his garden. It was over a year ago now, but it was a wonderful day. It just felt gl- uh, like I was glowing afterwards. Aww. And he was telling me how oftentimes it's, it's easy to become distracted 
um, and not really face how we're feeling, whether that be sadness, grief, happiness, whatever it might be. We, we distract ourselves and, and meditation in a way is, is a way to kind of reconnect with our, ourself and, and what we're really going through. That, that's beautiful. And, and that, is, that is a great way to say it. And I agree completely. It's, it is a great way to describe meditation. It's the practice of not distracting yourself anymore. Mm. And mm. of course, we don't need to explain how, you know, mm, destructive perpetual distraction is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are some common misconceptions that you come across about meditation? Because, like, again, you've been doing this for a while, and so I'm sure you've kind of heard it all. <laughs> uh, there things that, so, are certain things that kind of pop up regularly? Yes. The most common misconception is that meditation means you have to stop thinking. Like, there's some switch, and you, if you could find it, you could just clear the mind of thought, quote-unquote. I mean, people say all the time, I, I can't meditate because I can't stop thinking. Well, good, because if you stop thinking, that would be really weird because your mind exists to make thought. That's what it does, well, you know, as well as other things. But it's like your eyes exist to see and your ears to hear. And if you were looking out through your eyeballs and you suddenly said, okay, stop seeing anything, that would be weird and frustrating and impossible then that that's it is weird frustrating and impossible to say to your mind shut up stop thinking that, that's by far the biggest misconception is that and if people don't think well I, I need to stop thinking to meditate then they might think well, I need to think nice things and that also is not not so you can think monstrous things beautiful things boring things silly things important things it, it's irrelevant. The content of the thoughts is irrelevant uh, in meditation. Um, but so that is the biggest misconception that you have to stop thinking. So you don't. Absolutely not. No, no, no. I just wanted to express my deep gratitude for you, for you listening here with us today and just for your presence uh, because it, it does... Uh, mean a lot that you're taking the time out to really explore yourself and find out ways that you can deepen your connection with your higher being and to find out a bit more about meditation. I mean, it's awesome that you're, you've been curious about this and you're checking out this episode. So thank you. Uh, please mindfully tap that subscribe button if you haven't already, if you're interested in more stuff like this. I'm, I've also got a YouTube channel. So what I'm doing is I'm actually... Um, creating practical breakdowns of every episode. So if you go to Today Dreamer, it's all one word, Today Dreamer, uh, and you check out the channel there, there'll be a breakdown of this episode where we go through in a little bit more detail how to consistently uh, develop a meditation practice. There's also an in-depth article on goodpeopleeffect.com if you prefer to kind of digest information that way. And I'm going to be throwing up on the YouTube channel and there's going to be an upcoming series of videos to guide you through the first 30 days of building your meditation practice. So if that's something you may be into, then hit the subscribe button on the channel and you'll be notified when that comes out. Uh, but yeah, let's get back into the chat with Susan. If you stay to the end of the episode, there's going to be a little... Uh, guided meditation that Susan does with us as a little treat for you guys as well. So uh, exciting times ahead. 
are there, are there common struggles that people face? Like you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you know, my foot goes numb when I meditate, which actually happens to me quite often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people fall asleep as well. And are there other things? And, and how do we kind of, could you maybe go through a couple and, and maybe how, how to deal with them? Because I, I'm sure a lot of people, like there's people I, I see in three stages out there. People are either never meditated and are thinking about it. Uh, people who have done it a couple of times, but maybe infrequently, and, and regular meditators that want to deepen their practice. Mm-hmm. So maybe in regards to the middle group, like how can how can we kind of help them overcome some of these common uh, questions? Yeah. Well, the what can, am I allowed to move category of questions is important. Like if my foot falls asleep or I have an itch or my shoulders start to hurt. And yeah, just whatever feels right. Yeah, the answer to that in my training is, yeah, go ahead and move. In other traditions, like Zen, for example, no, don't move. Okay, that's cool. But the way I was trained and the way I teach, it's, yeah, you can move. But do it mindfully, quote unquote. So if your foot goes numb, uh, first, take your attention off your breath and put it on your foot and feel what it feels like to have a numb foot. Just feel it. And then as you move and stretch and wiggle your toes or whatever you do, really feel that and feel the blood coming back into your foot or whatever it feels like to you. And then bring your leg back and resume attention on breath. So you momentarily transfer attention from the breath to the foot or the itch or the ache, whatever it is that you want to before you move and then adjust and then come back. So that that's quite uh, common, especially as we are starting to meditate and our body might not be used to the posture, whether it's on the floor or in a chair. So it takes some time to get used to it. And then falling asleep is, is also very ordinary, common. And, and when we sit to meditate, we kind of relax, stop working basically. And when we relax, it's possible that what we're holding at arm's length, we're not holding it at arm's length anymore because we've relaxed our arm, metaphorically speaking. So what you haven't been wanting to face sometimes, well, there it is. And sometimes it's a feeling you haven't been wanting to feel or a problem you haven't been wanting to acknowledge. But most often, quite often, it's fatigue. And you fall asleep because you don't know how tired you are. And then when you sit to meditate and relax, your body goes, oh, yeah, okay, you're friggin' tired. And, you know, you know it off. So the reason for that is because everybody's working so hard. We don't, we don't know how tired we are. So it can be better to just rest, take a nap, try and meditate another time, or wait and see how or if the fatigue transforms but don't be upset with yourself for falling asleep because you're just tired Mm. the the most common problem that people express on an ongoing basis is i know it's good for me and when i do it i feel good but then i stop doing it what is wrong with me why can't i be consistent in my practice you know what i'm saying yeah so I remember once, I've heard this question many, many times. I've asked this question many, many times because my practice too has ups and downs. And 
people think, well, I have so I'm not disciplined or I have resistance that I need to explore. And okay, maybe you're not disciplined and maybe you you're resisting something, but I kind of don't think that's what's at play for most of us. I remember once I heard this question some years ago at a book signing I was doing for a book I wrote about meditation. And this woman asked that question, why, why do I have so much trouble being consistent? And for some reason, when I heard it, at that point, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. It, it's it's math. I'm not a mathematician, but it's mathematically impossible for 95% of human beings to lack the discipline necessary to meditate. But 95% of people who try to meditate that I know of encounter this problem. So the odds of this are very, very small. So what is it? I asked myself. And the answer that I've come up with is that knowing how to meditate is not enough to keep a practice consistent. And I use the Buddhist language to describe how to solve the problem because that's just how I've been trained and that's my language. But there's nothing religious or Buddhist-y even about these suggestions I'm going to make. So if one formally becomes a Buddhist, which nobody has to do, it's called taking refuge. And you take refuge in what's called the three jewels. And these are three supports you have for your formal practice. But you don't have to have a formal commitment to take advantage of these tools. The, the three jewels are, are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Buddha meaning awake, Dharma meaning path or wisdom, and Sangha means community. So if you, in a formal sense, taking refuge in the Buddha doesn't mean you believe in someone else. It means you acknowledge that there was a person just like you and me, same exact tools, and they were able to attain enlightenment. So taking refuge in Buddha means I'm taking refuge in my own wakefulness, my own inherent capacity to be liberated. And taking refuge in the Dharma means, oh, there's such a thing as truth and wisdom, and I can explore it. And taking refuge in Sangha, in the formal sense, community means, oh, there's other people that I can connect with through my practice. So setting all that aside, most of us only bring one jewel to our practice which is we sit down to meditate and in so doing establish a connection to our wakefulness. Whether it feels like for a millisecond or longer, that's what you're doing when you meditate. So you have that first jewel. Got it. Don't need to go get that one. But the other two need to be added in. So the Dharma piece means some kind of journey commences through a meditation practice. A path arises. Dharma means path. So some way of exploring that path for yourself. What is changing in me? What does it mean? How does it make me feel? Why do I encounter these obstacles? Some sense of inquiry into the changes that occur is essential to keeping the practice consistent. It can be very simple. It can be like, oh, I wrote, watch a video of someone talking about meditation, or I wrote a journal entry about it. It doesn't have to be a complicated course of study or anything, although it can be. And then the third piece that we leave out, which turns out to be the most important piece, is to meditate from time to time with other people, to sit with others. That seems to be the glue that holds it together. So Sangha means community. So all it means is to find the opportunity from time to time to sit with others. 
that seems to be the ballast. That is what helps the practice remain consistent. So if you live near a meditation center, you can go there, but you don't have to go there. Although it's great if you want to go on a retreat, highly recommended. That's fantastic. That deepens your practice like exponentially. But most people can't go. They don't know where to go or they can't afford to go. But if you sit with a friend every now and then, or if you, you don't even have to sit in person together. You can text a friend and say, let's sit together for 10 minutes tomorrow. You might be in another country. But that sense of I'm doing this with someone else keeps you on the cushion or chair. And the sense of I'm not alone in this is very important, even though it's a solitary practice that you do by yourself. So that's a long-winded way of offering an answer to the question, why is it so hard to be consistent in meditation? The answer in short is knowing how to do it is only part one. Part two is examining it. And part three is joining in with others who are also doing it. And then it becomes consistent. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful piece of knowledge, and thank you for sharing that. I think in in regards to Dharma and and the path, it seems like there's a lot of curiosity and even, like you said, exploring the path and some experimentation kind of involved. I find when I'm struggling to be consistent myself, sometimes I just allow myself to meditate for whatever amount of time feels right in that day, just to keep it happening on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So if it may not maybe if it's not kind of the regular amount of time, I can reduce that that amount of time and at least get some time in and uh, not kind of beat myself up for not making it. Oh, and man, that's so important. That's so important yeah. on two levels. It's important because consistency matters much more than duration when it comes to meditation. And then the last bit that you said, and try not to beat myself up, actually that is the whole practice. That is the practice, is not beating yourself up. <laughs> yeah, even if you miss a day as well. Like, it, it's, it's something that you, I try really hard not to do. But if it happens, it, it happens. And that's part, like, part of it is just letting go and just starting again. Absolutely. And if you do beat yourself up, don't beat yourself up for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I feel like the duration kind of comes into play a little bit as well. Although the consistency does seem to be uh, more important in the long run and, and in general, but I feel like there's something I, I, I get more out of a, a longer session. I Absolutely. feel like I, I connect deeper, I go deeper, and I and I feel, I don't know, I feel much different, much more different afterwards. Mm-hmm. Do, you, makes, do you feel the same? I do, I do. And duration is important. It, it, so, yes, I appreciate you emphasizing that. But consistency is more important. However, in other words, it's more important, it would be better to meditate 10 minutes a day, five days a week, than 50 minutes once a week. Yeah, a friend of mine said, he told me once that he meditated for five hours once, and that was the only time he's ever meditated. (laughs) Well. (laughs) And I found that incredibly, like, crazy, but it was interesting. It's interesting, and it also sounds competitive. Yeah. Like, this is not a competition sport, and it's not about... It doesn't even matter if you're good at meditating. It does, doesn't matter. You can suck at meditating. What matters yeah. is, are you good at being human in your life? That's yeah. where we want to look for the results. And so a single five-hour sit is maybe, oh, impressive, but not 
useful. <laughs> I don't think this particular friend was coming from it from a competitive standpoint. I'm not sure where it came from. He's just he's not that type of a person. But oh, it was okay. it was really interesting um, when he told me that. I just found it really strange. <laughs> yeah, maybe he fell in. Maybe he just slipped into a different mind state, and that is interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. also, the longer you sit, the better it is. So we not to discount that. And with each minute that goes by in your meditation, you settle a little bit more deeply. So it makes sense that if you were to sit for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, it feels different than if you sit for 10 minutes, because it is different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just wanted to touch on Sangha for a, for a moment. And it's I just find it super interesting how, as humans, we... We kind of like gathering in groups. There's something, there's something we feel where we're like, you know, being connected with others because we're also individual but also connected at the same time. And it's and it feels there's something that really feels right when we're in a in a large group. Like you see that when people are at, you know, concerts together or gathered for events or kind of just hanging out. It, there's something going on there with connectedness and and even when you know if you've got a gym partner for example and they keep you motivated and you share kind of insights with one another you grow a lot quicker and that's kind of what this podcast is all about surrounding listeners with with people to kind of connect with and, and to help them on their journey on their path that's um, great. it's really interesting when we look at connectedness and I feel like that's kind of what the open heart project seems to be about well, I appreciate you saying that and, and noticing that, and that is exactly what it's about. It's it's about all three jewels. It's about Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but your interpretation of them and your, you know, I'm not going to lay anything on anyone, but the most important teaching instruction I got when I was being trained as a teacher was don't teach anyone anything. Help them to discover something. So the mm-hmm. Open Heart Project is really set up for that, to help you discover something. But you're not alone. And within the Open Heart Project, there is what the Open Heart Project Sangha, which is a smaller group within, because the the meditation newsletters, are that's free. But the Sangha is a small monthly membership fee thing. And that is a group of people that practices together more intensively. And interestingly... Speaking to your point about connection and the sort of gentle accountability of having like a workout partner or, or something, the the most potent support, I think, that it happens in the Sangha, Open Heart Project Sangha, is a WhatsApp group where you go on and you just say, I'm in Norway or I'm in California and I'm going to sit for 20 minutes or oh, there's two other people sitting with me in California or five other people sitting with me, but they're in another country. And it's just unbelievably inspiring and and delightful. That WhatsApp group has been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's really fascinating. I was talking about a similar point with a friend of mine over the phone the other day. It was like, there's, there's this kind of energy in this world and you feel it you feel these and we kind of called it good vibes or, th- or things like that there's something going on that's kind of goes beyond words there's some kind of energy or feeling that happens sometimes mm-hmm. and it's interesting how that can even transmit over technology from one side of the world to another and you can feel connected you can feel this energy or, or this vibration even if you're in a totally different part of the part of the world boy you're so right and and I never thought of that before but that is a great explanation of, of how Sangha works and why Sangha is important. 
it's not just sharing a physical space. It's sort of sharing a mindset or sharing an aspiration that creates connection. So I, I'm with you on that all the way. There's something that you speak about quite a bit, and it's something that I struggle with sometimes, if I'm going to be totally honest, and that's kind of cultivating the skill of staying calm when there's a storm of chaos going on around me. Mm. And it's bringing you know, lessons and gifts from my meditation practice into the real world and applying them in kind of life situations. Do you have any thoughts on, on how to do that better? And, and I don't know, just any thoughts on that in general? Yes, I have so many thoughts on that in general and in specific, because it, that's really the key question is how do I bring this into my life? Because it doesn't matter. Like I say, if you're good at meditating, no one's good at it. But what matters is can you bring that mind of ease into at, to your work, to your relationships and so forth. So the first thing that I would recommend is stop trying to remain calm because that is like putting a, a leash or a lead on yourself and it's, it's, uh, chokes you. So we're human. We are human friggin' beings and things hurt and things upset us. Things make us angry. Things, make us feel disoriented and lost. So I remember once asking a similar question to a friend of mine, something happened in my life that I was really upset and I was crying and I happened to run into him on the street. It was great, good fortune. And I told him what was going on. He's a senior meditator to myself. And I said, boy, my practice must be so weak. If one, I didn't say jerk, I said something meaner, uh, can like just knock me off my seat so thoroughly. And he said, oh, you think not getting upset is a sign of progress on the path? And I was like, yes. <laughs> he said, no, it is not. That is not the sign of progress. The sign of progress is how quickly can you turn your attention to what you do feel? That was a very smart thing that he said. So, wow, that just blew my mind. Right? Mine too. <laughs> So instead of thinking, how do I get to calm? Don't do that. Look at the upset. Feel it. Feel it without the storyline attached to it, if possible, because that is a distraction from the feeling. I'm angry because someone was mean to me, because I they said they were going to do this and they did that. Okay, that's useful. But that's not the same thing as feeling. So turn towards what you feel and go directly to it. And do, don't be afraid. And if you're, if you are afraid, don't be afraid of that. Just go face yourself. That's, mm. that's, the, that's the secret sauce. It's kind of like just allowing yourself to be. And it's so interesting how, like you said, he was a, he or she was a more experienced meditator than you yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, and you mentioned wisdom earlier. And, and this wisdom seems to come from, you know, meditating and doing it consistently. And, and it's so interesting when you have questions or you're at a crossroads in life and you just sit and be with yourself and, and you really deep within somewhere, your higher self or whatever you want to call it has the answer. And it's funny how they float into your mind sometimes. It's, 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 uh, I can't believe it. It's, it's a pretty unbelievable experience. I agree. It is pretty unbelievable. And it's, it's weirdly simple. It's so simple, it's hard to believe. And the key, however, is to not have an agenda. So, it, for example, if you say to yourself, well, I'm really upset, and so I'm going to feel my upset because some Buddhist lady said that's what I should do, but I'm going to do it so I can calm down, then it doesn't work. It has to be without that last part, so I can calm down. 
Just it is what it is. Go to it. But if that point confuses me a little bit because isn't uh, it isn't it important to have some kind of an intention or is that like kind of irrelevant? No intention is 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 important. But when you is what is the difference between intention intending to feel calm and telling yourself to shut up? Ah, uh, okay. The mm-hmm. is one is uh, non-aggressive and the other one is aggressive. So if you're doing something with the intention of changing yourself because you don't like it, that can run into trouble. If, however, you have the intention to become a, a more peaceful person, a more loving person, a person who brings more benefit to the world, that's great. That's fantastic. That's a beautiful intention. Be curious about how to do that rather than instructing yourself how to do that. And be very careful around that intention. Is it because you really want to be a benefit? Or is it because you want to feel less pain yourself? And it's fine. I want to feel less pain too. But look carefully at your motivation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for clearing that up for me. (laughs) (laughs) Would you be able to tell me about St. Martin's Press? Oh, like, what do you mean? (laughs) The publisher? What about them? Well, before our chat... um, I have this thing that I send out to a lot of my guests and it's it's really, I don't know why I have it in there. It's like a strange question. It's like, do you have any interesting stories on creativity, adventure or purposeful living? And I'm not, I can't remember exactly what you put down, but um, there was a mention of St. Martin's Press in oh, there. That's and I was going to see if you could maybe elaborate. Yeah, actually, now that you, I forgot I wrote that, but now that you say it, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is what I was referring to. So... This was before I was a meditation teacher. And my own personal path, for what it's worth, is always about falling backwards. It's never about setting an intention and then going out and accomplishing that intention. I mean, I, I try, I can do, try to do that as much as I want, but at least thus far in my life, that's not how things happen in my, for me karmically. I don't know why. Sounds like there's something to, is that like, are you referring to fate in some way? Uh, yes, or it's just coincidence. Yeah, coincidence. So a long time ago, I was what's called a book packager. I would create, work with other authors to create a product, well-being authors or spiritual authors. Like, how can we put your book together with something else that will help people experience what you're talking about? Like uh, an audio class or a video something something so that's what i did for a pretty long time create these book packages
that that was how I became a meditation teacher. It wasn't like, oh, I want to help human beings or which I do, but it wasn't, oh, this could be cool. Maybe meditation's going to be a thing. It was this moment where they said, well, we would like you to do it. I said, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, I, I have to actually be a meditation teacher. <laughs> so I trained and became a meditation teacher. So that that's my story about St. Martin's Press. Thank you, St. Martin's Press. You really helped me in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people have these kind of moments where they make certain decisions and their life changes in, in, in brilliant directions when they're open to the change. And how, how do we become more open to that change? And how did you find the openness in that moment? Well, it just seemed right. And so everyone's different. I, I, I'm a, a vibey person. I go, you know, that's how I make decisions or understand things. I'm not like, what do I feel? And just blurt things out. I don't mean that. I mean, the way my own personal intelligence, for better or worse, works is I'm a non-theoretical mindset, which means I didn't go to college because I, I, I just don't make my mind doesn't work that way. Like, let me study it and think about it, and then I'll understand it. It's more like I have to encounter situations in everyday life and then take cues from them. That's just my way. It's It's got its really strong benefits and it's really strong detracting qualities. Um, so if you want to be more like that, okay, but you don't have to be more like that because you have your own kind of intelligence. You have your own way of knowing things, your own way of connecting to intuition. Intuition is important, but my way of accessing it, which is seems sort of like a sudden, like, oh yeah, that's the right thing to do. I'm going to do that. I don't know how you do that. We each have to find our own way in the world of intuition, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and what are, what are some of the ways besides meditation that you cultivate your own sense of wisdom and, and conscious growth? Well, meditation is really the foundation of all the other ways. Without it, there is no exploration in my life. Mm -hmm. So because I cultivate mindfulness on a cushion, it gives me an increasing ability to be mindful off the cushion, which again, I can't say this enough, that's where it counts. doesn't matter if you're good at it on the cushion. So... It helps me stay with myself as I go through my day or my life and things upset me or things make me happy or things make me hopeful or things make me fearful. I can stay with myself and that staying, staying close to my own mind, my own heart is what gives a person access to growth and wisdom. I'm also, I will say, absurdly lucky that I have friends like the the guy I ran into on the street who told me how to measure the progress of meditation. I, I, I have been able to study with really amazing teachers. So there are a lot of really amazing teachers out there who are also messed up individuals. There are a lot of messed up individuals who pretend to be amazing teachers, but they're not. And then there's the rare actually amazing teachers without qualification. I don't mean they, they are qualified, but that is an unqualified statement. There are really amazing teachers out there and it really pays to look for them. 
I am not one of them, not talking about myself. (laughs) Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. Is there any chance of you maybe connecting me with one or two of these amazing humans? Yeah, I I, I suggest right away the first name, two names come to mind, is uh, they're both Tibetan teachers, but they were born after 1959, so they weren't raised in Tibet, and that was when the Chinese invasion happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, two current teachers that I can recommend without hesitation are, one is named Mingyur Rinpoche, M-I-N-G-Y-U-R. Rinpoche is the honorific, it means precious teacher, it's not a last name. Mingyur Rinpoche, he is amazing, the real deal. And then another teacher that I love is named Khandro Rinpoche, K-H-A-N-D-R-O, a woman teacher who is so impressive, so powerful, so deep, so uncompromising, so kind of a little scary even, which I like about, I happen to like that about her. Uh, she's fantastic. You cannot go wrong with those teachers. I just want to express my deep gratitude for you sharing that with me. I really appreciate that. Well, I hope that you will benefit from even just hearing their names. But if you <laughs> check out their work, I feel quite certainly you, certain that you will benefit. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So, should we get into a quick little guided meditation? What do you think? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. We'll keep it short. Yeah. It'll be uh, just a few minutes. Yep. Uh, and... It's, I will guide us in the practice, and then there'll be a little bit of silence so we can just sit together. And then I will uh, indicate when the session, when the meditation is closed, when it's done, so you don't have to worry about keeping track of time. I, I will okay. do that. Okay. So let's start. Meditation practice begins with the way you take your seat. So don't do this if you're driving or, or running or something. <laughs> but otherwise, I, the basic idea is to establish the posture which means sit up straight. Whether you're on a cushion on the floor or in a chair, it doesn't matter. But sit up straight and feel the good sense of sort of dignity that comes with sitting up straight as opposed to slouching. And relax. Uh, The hands rest on the legs, palms down. And the hands just rest. You can feel all the doing go out of the hands because they don't have anything to do right now. And let the belly soften. And let the shoulders relax. I often feel that I'm pulling forward in my day, like pulling a cart or something. So if this is you, you just imagine that whatever you're pulling around with you, you just put it down feel a kind of coolness between the shoulder blades as you would if you took off a heavy pack. The mouth is closed but the lips and teeth are slightly parted and the mouth is closed in meditation because you don't have to talk and that is fantastic. You can enjoy your own silence because in fact there is no one in there talking. It is silent. So you can fill with that stillness. The breath is natural in and out through the nose, meaning there's no, you already know how to breathe, so just keep doing that. 
And in this practice, the eyes are open and the gaze is soft and cast down to a spot in front, up to six feet or one and a half meters or less. And really let the eyes be very soft, as I say. And now feel yourself breathing. Just feel your body breathe. Feel the inhale, feel the exhale. This is not observing the breath. We don't observe the breath in meditation, we feel it. It's very simple. So feel the gentle expansion on the inhale and the release on the exhale. And then you don't have to do anything because the next inhale will just happen, I promise. So you just begin again, coming in, flowing out. Your mind will continue to make thoughts, which is cool, no problem, of course. We don't try to stop thinking. Just let thoughts come and go. Most of them will just come and go on their own, and you don't have to do anything. They may distract you for a moment. That's fine. Just gently come back to your breath. However, if you notice at some point that you have become completely absorbed in a line of thought to the point where you have forgotten about your breath, then you want to intercede by noting what's happening. You first say to yourself, silently, thinking. That's thinking, not meditating. And then you let go, very gently, of the thought, whether it's important or violent or beautiful, it doesn't matter. Just let go. Gently come back to your breath and take a fresh start. That's all there is to it. We'll just sit for a minute or two together and I will indicate when the session is over.
bring your meditation practice to a close. Stop meditating. Just let the technique go. And thank you. Thank you so much for that, Susan. That was that was amazing. My pleasure. <laughs> um, just before we close things off, did you want to maybe share a little bit about how people can either get in touch or connect with the Open Heart Project? Yes, thank you. Um, my website is my name, susanpiper.com. Please visit, please sign up for the Open Heart Project newsletter. It's free, as mentioned, and I send meditation instruction to you once a week. And if you want to work together more consistently, join the Open Heart Project Sangha. That would be fantastic. And I also have a, my latest book is called The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships. And it's about bringing the mind of meditation or mindfulness to your most intimate relationships. So I'd love it if, if you read that. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I just wanted to share my deep gratitude uh, to you. So thank you. Thank you for giving this podcast a chance and taking the time to work on yourself and to try to become a bit closer to yourself. And, and thank you for being curious about meditation. I've really got some interesting insights with from this conversation with Susan. And I do encourage you to visit the Open Heart Project, which is Susan's online sangha or community, where you can really deepen your meditation practice and, and take it to another level and, and, and really get that community element or, or all three of the elements really that, that were discussed in this episode. So I've started, uh, that will be available by the way on goodpeopleeffect.com, where I've also started to write articles. So there's going to be a practical breakdown on everything that Susan and I have discussed today on building a consistent meditation habit on the website. So head over to goodpeopleeffect.com and, and check it out. I've started doing these little breakdowns and going a little bit deeper with everything with the practical knowledge that, that, I've, that I'm talking about in the episodes, even though I've had a little bit of resistance to doing it because I don't really like writing. I feel like it would be really helpful for you guys. Um, I'm also, I've also put together a video on Today Dreamer all one word, Today Dreamer, on my YouTube channel. Uh, so if you subscribe to the channel, you'll also be notified when I release an upcoming series of videos that are aimed to help you through the first 30 days of building your meditation practice. So uh, I'm going to be putting together this series uh, very soon, and I can't wait to share that with you guys and really help you, you know, walk you through the steps of building that practice and through some guided meditation, maybe some experimentation with some different types of meditation and going, you know, a little bit deeper with meditation from five minutes, possibly up to an hour. Uh, so there's also one more thing. There's an episode I did with a Buddhist monk about the secrets to happiness in life. And it's, a, it's my most popular episode, actually. It's episode number 13. So if you're interested in this one, um, there's also that one as well where we do a meditation in the episode and it's quite a nice thing. We, we met up in his, in his garden, his peaceful garden on a beautiful spring day and we had an amazing chat and he shared some incredible insights with me. So that video is also available on Today Dream on my YouTube channel. Uh, so if you're interested, check it out 
Uh, I'm sure you can get a lot out of it. Uh, but until next time, guys, be well and, and happy meditating. Good luck with uh, building and forming a consistent meditation habit. And I'd be very curious to see or hear how it goes for you.